I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles, the book of Numbers, for our scripture reading. We'll read some verses at the start of chapter 11, and then some verses at the start of chapter 12. Um, Numbers chapter 11, and beginning our reading at verse 1 of the chapter. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlics. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color was thereof as the color of bedillium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it, and the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them, that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father, beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers. Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray, out of hand, if I find favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And uh, we'll end our reading there. I suppose we're ending it early, but just go over to uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And he said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. And the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out uh, ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came out in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they went, uh, both came, and they both came forth and he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses 
is, is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. Let's just um, unite together at the throne of grace. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to thee afresh in our Saviour's name, and we thank thee for even these passages. We see the uh, discontent of the people. We recognize that so many of them were looking for the leeks and garlics of Egypt again. But, O oh God, we pray that even uh, we might learn how to react uh, when we are faced with troublesome people. Come, our God, and bless us today, for it is in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, we start a series about things that Christians struggle with, things that are you're going to find hard as you go along life's journey in your Christian pathway. And we dealt with uh, the number one problem uh, the last couple of weeks, which is temptation. But what I want to do today is to look at a second problem, which is troublesome people. Now, we have read the portion of Scripture here, and we have seen Moses dealing with troublesome people in the midst of the uh, children of Israel. I was reading John MacArthur, and he uh, really listed a number of categories of troublesome people in the church. And I just want to give you his list. Group number one, he said, are called the wayward. He said they're never in step. They're always out of sync. They're always out of line. They're never with the program. When everybody else is moving ahead, they're going backward. When everybody else is filling up the ranks, they're on the outside, not bothering. Uh, sometimes, he said, they are a wall. They're absent without leave. They are probably lazy, sometimes not interested, idle as far as the work of God is concerned. He said, that's group number one, who are the wayward. And then he identified a second group that he uh, uh, called the worried. And he said the worried are the people that are always afraid. Always afraid of something new. Always, we never did it that way before. We never went that way. We never did those kind of things before. No courage. Not able to um, uh, take a new step or go into a new area. Or do something that is out of the uh, normal. And no sense of adventure. A hating of change. Always worried about what it might be, never wanted to take a step outside of the normal. He said, those are the worried. And then there was a third group, and he called them the weak. And the weak are the spiritually and morally weak. Christians who have a weak faith, who are weak in their discipline, in their discipline in reading the Word of God, and praying and staying close to the Lord. And they are very apt to be 
taken by Satan's and they're always falling into Satan. And it's very hard for them to do God's will consistently. And they take an awful lot of attention. No sooner have they, you, you think you got them on their feet until they've fallen again. And those are the weak. And then he said there are those that are the wearisome. And he said another word for that is frustrating. These are the people who are the foot draggers. They're in line, but they're just about three steps behind everybody else. They, um, well, when everybody else is pouring their energy to something, well, we look for them and they're way behind. They, uh, something distracts them. Something takes their fancy. And maybe they're going in the right direction, but at a very slow pace indeed. And then group five is the wicked. Christians who just do evil, who are breaking up marriages or are really causing real problems in the church. And he calls those the wicked. But there's not just those that trouble us in the church. There are those that trouble us outside of the church. First of all, we have the apathetic, those that don't care. And as we try to face them and bring the gospel to them, they have no thought about the things of God. We have seen in the census how that the number of seemingly apathetic people about the things of God, the things of religion, have grown 333,000 in Northern Ireland have put themselves down as no religion whatsoever. Apathetic. Among those who are, are the second group, and those are the antagonistic, those that do not like the things of God, those that will stand against the things of God, those that want to um, bring uh, down, who will scorn. We, we were looking in the uh, Psalms of Degrees about the psalmist complaining about those that scorned them and mocked them. And you may get that in the, your workplace. Maybe you're a boss who knows you're a Christian and they will mock you and put you into awkward situations. If we keep with the A's, and I didn't mean to keep, but the third group are those who outrightly attack the people of God and the church of God. Those who have um, an agenda, a devilish agenda. And they are those that want to bring the church down, who want to end the influence of the church. And we have had the report from the University of Ulster that wants to rid our schools of any Christian teaching whatsoever. The antagonistic and those that attack the things of God. There are many. We will have them in our workplaces. We'll have them maybe even in our family, maybe. We might have them in our neighborhoods, those that we come across day by day, those people that are troublesome, those people that we have to deal with. Well, how do we deal with them? How do we deal with troublesome people who come into our lives and into our hearts? Well, that's what I want to deal with today for a few minutes. And we just want to give you a number of things, a number of strategies 
to deal with troublesome people in your life. And first of all, the first thing that I want you to remember is to abstain from pride. Now, one of the things that we will do when we are faced with troublesome people is very often that pride will arise and we will, uh, as it were, fight fire with fire. We will want to get back at them. We will want to, uh, if they're going to damage us, we will want to damage them. And pride arises so very easily. But of course, pride is wrong. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we are to have a right view of ourselves. Pride is uh, something that's fueled by a high thought about ourselves. And we very naturally think about ourselves very highly. Uh, we have to look after ourselves in many ways. But we need to make sure that pride is not something that uh, mars our reaction to others. Now, I was thinking about the way that the Lord Jesus dealt with his enemies. When I say that we don't deal with them in pride, that we deal with them in humility, we read about Moses there in Numbers chapter 11, that Moses was a, a, a meek man. He was a man who dealt with things in meekness. But that didn't mean that he ignored the um, problems here. He brought the problems to the Lord. And we'll come to that in a little while. We need to bring our problems to the Lord. But it wasn't that he ignored them and let the people trample over him. That's not what we mean by being meek or being humble. I was thinking about the way that the Lord Jesus dealt with the troublesome people. You think of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees had a hatred against the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were often coming and they were trying to trip him up. And they were trying to bring all sorts of uh, traps so that they could uh, uh, accuse him. And so that they could get rid of him and, uh, or undermine his authority by saying, well, this is a man that is going against the word of God in so many ways. How did the Lord Jesus deal with them? Well, you can remember that one time he called them uh, whited sepulchres and he uh, said that they were full of dead men's bones. It wasn't that he ignored them, but what he did was that he dealt with them in truth. And you remember the time when Peter, when the uh, scribes and Pharisees and the Roman soldiers came in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter got mad, and I suppose his pride was wounded, and his, he, he got a little bit mad, and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And the Lord rebuked him for that. He said, no, that's not the way to do it. You know what the Bible says? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we will develop this a little bit as we go along but what I just want to concentrate on at the minute is that we deal with pride. Don't, don't uh, deal with them in, don't let your pride force you to do something that you shouldn't do. Sometimes God's people, uh, we maybe sometimes have an arrogance about us. 
Sometimes the world would say to us, you know, you think you're the chosen people, you're the elect of God, and maybe they think because of that that there's an arrogance about us. There was one website that said, Christianity breeds arrogance, a chosen people mentality. It's only natural that those that believe that they have a direct line to the Almighty would feel superior to others. This is so obvious that it needs little elaboration. A brief look at religious terminology confirms it. Christians have often called themselves God's people, the chosen people, the elect, while non-believers have been labelled heathens, infidels, and so on. This sets up a two-tiered division of humanity in which God's people feel superior to those who are not God's people. Well, we are the elect, and we are God's chosen, we are God's people, but we should not in any way manifest some kind of superiority because why are we God's elect and God's chosen if we're saved? Not because of anything in ourselves. The Bible paints a picture of humanity and it says the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot under the head. There is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. All our righteousness, as the Bible says, are as filthy rags in his sight. And it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy has he saved us. So really we have nothing to glory in. We are just sinners saved by grace. We're just those that God in his mercy has set his love upon. And we make sure that that sin of pride is not something that is manifested as we deal with the difficult people and the troublesome people in our lives. Pride is a sin. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we approach the dif difficult person and we do it in love. Love is the key. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And even the difficult people and the troublesome people are those that we are to love. So that's the first thing we are to abstain from pride. The second thing is to activate patience. You think of how the Lord dealt with the scribes and Pharisees with patience. Now, we have read this portion of Scripture, and you see the anger of the Lord against these people when they uh, came and they uh, began to murmur against the Lord and the way that he was doing. But here, really, they're murmuring against the Lord. That's the difference. They murmured against Moses too, but they were uh, really murmuring against the Lord and the way that God had brought them out of that situation. And we think of how difficult people, they will pick fights. They will sometimes be extraordinarily demanding. They will complain constantly, as the children of Israel did here over a couple of chapters. They are complaining constantly. And we think of how the pride re raises itself up and there is that, um, uh, that um, ju just running ahead and seeking to impose our own thoughts upon the thing. But the Bible speaks about patience. 
It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And how many times has it been um, that we have said to ourselves, I don't have to put up with this. Or maybe we have said, well, I don't need to tolerate this. Or, or I'm not even putting up with this. And maybe you think, well, I, I shouldn't put up with this. But maybe you should. Maybe you should. Ephesians 4 says that we are to deal with people in meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. That's the way that the Lord would have us do it. Patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, love is patient. And they may be difficult people, but if our love for them is what it ought to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will bear with them patiently. We will not try to put fire out with fire, but we will be long-suffering. We will instead deal with them in love. We will reply to them in love. And we need that patience, not provocation, but patience against it. The book of Proverbs very often speaks of the wisdom of patience. It says in Proverbs 12, verse 16, it says um, uh, that uh, a fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. And then the Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 12, it is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. And it says, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. So we need that patience with those who are troubling us. But then there's something else. Not only are we to uh, avoid, uh, we're not only to uh, avoid pride and we are to activate patience, but we are to stay away from provocation. We are to avert from provocation. Sometimes the best course of action is to walk away. Now, we don't walk away lightly. The first thing that we need to do and the priority is to deal with that person in love. Very often, when you deal with somebody in love, it will turn away the... Um, it will, it will um, deactivate their uh, antagonism towards you. But very sometimes, in order to avoid the provocation or avoid the trouble, uh, we need to walk away. We uh, think of how sometimes the Bible advocates that. In Proverbs 17 and verse 14, it uh, say, speaks of the values of foresight and deference. And then it says, The beginning of strife is as one letteth out water. Therefore leave contention before it be meddled with. He says, sometimes we just have to leave. Sometimes we just have to get out of the situation. You think of King David as an example of this. You remember when King Saul was coming after him. And King Saul had sort of a madness on him that uh, meant that he had a great antagonism, uh, antagonism 
towards King David, or David as he was then. And we think of how the jealousy in Saul was so uh, vehement and burning within his breast that he wanted to put David to death. And we're told of Saul in 1 Samuel 24, verses 12 to 13. The Lord, the, David says, he told Saul this, The Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenged me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon me, as saith the proverb of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. And you think of how David fled to the cave of Adullam, how David got out of the way in order to avoid the situation. And sometimes we just have to stay away. The Bible says to avoid conflict, sometimes we need to be careful about who we associate with. It says in Proverbs 22 and 24, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. So we need to stay away from the contentions, stay away from those that are full of discontent, unless, in case that discontent begins to get into our own hearts and into our own souls. So there are some times when we need to avoid provocation. We need to just step away from the situation. Something else that we need to do, and that is that we apply prayer. Now, we sort of uh, touched upon this earlier on, how we need to pray about this situation. Maybe there's somebody in your life that is troubling you, a boss or someone in the workplace, or somebody that you know, or somebody in the church. And what do we need to do for them? We need to pray. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, Paul here, he's writing to a church that was very troublesome. There were many troublesome situations and many troublesome people. And you notice that he starts off the epistle by prayer, and he ends the epistle by prayer. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4, he says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. And they certainly are needing correction, but he prays for them. And then at the end, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 23 and 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. He's dealing with troublesome people, but he's praying for them. And that prayer is part of our love for our neighbor. The Lord Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you, and persecute you. And that's what the Lord Jesus uh, said. Pray for them. You pray for your own heart, first of all. Pray for yourself. You say, why do I need to pray for me? Well, sometimes we don't recognize that we maybe might be part of the problem. You know, we are so intent on thinking about the person that troubles us 
that sometimes we don't recognize that we add to the problem. Our pride or our reaction to the thing adds to the whole thing. And sometimes maybe the difficult person is us. So we need to pray for ourselves and we need to pray that God will reveal these things. You remember when David had committed sin against Bathsheba or against Uriah and Bathsheba, he went and he said, I sinned against the Lord. And he recognized that. But not only do we pray for ourselves, but of course we pray for those that are troubling us. We pray for them. We think of uh, Joseph at the end of his life after his brothers had done him so much wrong. And after they had sold him into uh, slavery in Egypt, he was able to say, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And sometimes God sends troublesome people into our lives in order to teach us and for, in order to let us see things that we mightn't or ordinarily see. Sometimes the trials and the difficulties that come along our path are just a magnifying glass for the Lord to show us something that we are doing. So we pray for ourselves and we pray for those that are troubling us. Something else that we do when there are troublesome people, we advance peace. We make sure our principle, the principle behind everything that we do is a principle of love and peace. It says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. We are to give soft answers. It says it is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool is meddling. Or it says in Proverbs 10 and 12, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. It means by covering them. Um, it means that we're, we're not fixed, not fixated upon the sins, but we cover them by love. You know, when the first missionaries went to Alberta and Canada, they were savagely opposed by the Cree Indians and other Indians, but particularly among the Cree. But there was a, a young chief by the name of Putin, who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour. He is one of the first fruits among the Indians there in Alberta. And shortly afterward, the village rose up against him because he was a Christian. They were uh, in up in arms against him, and literally up in arms, and they killed his father, killed uh, Maskaputin's father. And the young Christian went to the camp where the man who had killed his father was. He said, you've killed my father. He says, now you are my father. He said, you will ride my best horse. You will wear my best clothes. And you will have honor among my family. And utterly amazed, the man who had killed his father, he said, my son, you have killed me. And by that he meant, of course, that he'd killed his heart of hatred against him. 
And by the soft answer and by the soft action, he turned away the trouble that was against him. But one more thing that I want you to see when we're dealing with troublesome people is we're to act prudently. Now, the thing is that the Bible gives us um, an outline of what we are to do when there are people that come against us or where there are things that are done against us. And we find it in Matthew chapter 18. And that is the pattern that what we are to do with difficult people. We are to pray for them. But what else do we do? We treat them with humility. We treat them with love. But also, like the Lord Jesus, we can confront them with their sin. And we ought to. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 18, you will see the outline of the procedure that we are to adopt. And sometimes when people have problems with others, I have pointed out this procedure, and they have felt that, um, well, it's not good enough. We will do our own thing. No, you don't do your own thing. You do what the Lord has said. And if you look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, you see the procedure when you're dealing with difficult people or people that have come against you, trespassed against you. He says in the church, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. There is stage one. You don't automatically come to the minister. You don't automatically come to the elders and say, such and such has done me wrong, the awful thing that they have done. The first stage always is for you to go to that person and say, you know, brother, sister, you have done me wrong. That wasn't right the way you spoke to me. Or that wasn't right the way that you ignored me or whatever it was that they did. You go and speak to your brother. And if somebody speaks to you like that, well, you are to treat them like that. You're not to turn in your heel. You're not to flare up. Don't let pride come with somebody says, you know, brother, I, I didn't feel the way you treated me was right. The, the automatic reaction to that might be, well, um, I, I, that, you, you did this or that to me. No, you, listen to them. Listen to them. Hear what they have to say. And examine your own heart and see if there's something in it. And if there's something in it, you repent. What's the second stage? If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So the next stage is that you take a couple of brethren with you. And you say, brother, sister, you've done me wrong, and you didn't react to it too well, but I have brought these brethren here, and they're willing to deal with this problem. They're willing to hear what you have to say, willing to hear what I have to say, and you bring two or three witnesses, and then there are two or three witnesses to what has taken place. What's stage three? If he shall neglect to hear thee, tell it unto the church. So that's the third stage where it comes to the session of the church. 
And if he, uh, uh, um, uh, it says, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Well, that's excommunication, where the person is put outside the church. If a person will not hear the church, if a person does not listen to what the session has to say, well, then there is discipline that is administered. So there is the process that takes place. And that's the process that we need to go through when we are dealing with difficult people. But there is one more thing, actually, and our time's well away, but we need to attend to God's power. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 12 and 19. It is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And at the end of the day, what we need to do is to leave it all in the hands of God. But you know, in this world of sin, we do meet difficult people. And sometimes, even maybe with the best of intentions or inadvertently, people can say things or do things. Maybe they didn't even know it. And that's why you go to your brother first. He mightn't even know he has done you wrong or said something like, and he maybe didn't mean what you thought he meant. Or she mightn't have meant what she thought you thought she meant. So just clarify that first of all. But you know, at the end of the day, if they have done you wrong and they're not going to listen, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. There are many troublesome people, but thank God we come to a God who loves us with an everlasting and a perfect love, a love that will never fade away, and we can always bring our problems to the Lord, and we can leave them there. May God write his word upon our hearts, even for his name's sake today. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Time has gone. We'll just close the meeting in a word of prayer today. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for thy precious word, and we think of the instruction that we have about troublesome people. And we have read about Moses and the troublesome people that he encountered. We thought about David and the troublesome people he encountered. And we thought about the Lord Jesus and the troublesome people he encountered. And Lord, we're going to encounter them too. But Lord, help us to deal with them in love and with patience. And Lord, to deal with them in a Christ-like way. And our Father, we pray that thou wouldst enable us in everything that we do to walk as children of God. Bless thy word, write it upon our hearts, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen.